0: Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 25. My guest today is David Luong. David is a cinematic digital matte painter. He worked for 15 years for Blizzard Entertainment on such games as World of Warcraft, and now he's working as core production senior artist at Imaginary Studios in Irvine, California. He's a very talented guy and has some really great stories to tell. Here we go. Hey, David. Hey, Mark. How you doing, man? I'm
1: doing good, thanks.
0: Hey, thank you so much for being on the Pure Now Show. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about your creative journey.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So uh, you've recently made some moves. You were at Blizzard for a very long time.
1: Yeah, so I was at Blizzard for about 15 years. And um, there's just kind of like a lot of things that are happening there. I kind of felt the great resignation hitting myself too. So I was sort of thinking like how um, I could change things up, um, why I'm still here, and could I be doing something that's different, but also uh, very fulfilling to me. And um, I came upon this opportunity of starting at a new startup and I decided to just make the jump. Uh, I felt like it was the right time. Uh, I worked at Blizzard for a really long time and I did really great things there, but uh, I just wanted to try something fresh and new and exciting.
0: Okay. And and how's that going thus far? That that happened at the end of this past year, right? December.
1: Yeah, yeah that happened December. I joined uh, December 6th, uh, 2021. So it's about two months now and it's just a lot of like creative uh, learning and just like collaborating with other artists who also have joined the company recently. We actually tripled in size since I've joined already. Wow. So. I was number 11, and we are currently about 30 people already. We have three more people joined today, which is pretty exciting. We're off to the race, and uh, it's going to be a really cool thing. It's a long-term investment because the game won't be out for like four or five years at least. But the cinematic stuff we're going to be working on should be coming out sometime this year, and then we're going to be releasing like incremental cinematics next year, the year after. So it's going to be a nice balance of working on the cinematics and the game at the same time.
0: Well, you know, I think most people are familiar now with the gaming world. Blizzard Entertainment, of course, is one of the top uh, studios in the world producing uh, gaming content.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and VFX cinematic matte artists are not always the most recognized, although it is that work that you produce that mm-hmm. really creates this engaging environment, this, these beautiful environments that, that people get to play with. All over the world, all around the clock, and yeah. and you know, of course, due to COVID and whatnot, maybe the gaming industry has become even more popular and more prevalent as people spent oh, all yeah. this time at home with nothing mm-hmm. to do. Um, yeah, how does that feel to you, being an artist for a long time in this industry and contributing in the way that you have? You, you know, your your work is so rich and deep and beautiful. And I cannot imagine how these games would even play out without someone like you who adds this other layer of emotional content that Mm -hmm. really adds such incredible value to the game as much as even uh, character development or the music or the gaming aspect itself. Everything is so critical to create this experience for the gamer for the user yeah how do you feel about that integration of what you do into this experience that pretty much i don't know it's got to be over 50% of the world is now engaged with at this point
1: Yeah, I felt very fortunate, I mean, to be a part of this legacy, this company that had so many millions of people around the world playing the game. Uh, World of Warcraft had like 12 million, 13 million people at the peak, and they're still having so many more millions playing right now. There's other games like Overwatch, Starcraft, Diablo, Heroes of the Storm, Hearthstone, there's just so many varied content that we produced over the years. And it's not just me, it's just a whole team of people. I mean, on our team for the cinematics, we had about 300 people. And that includes like writers, character artists, matte artists, 3D animation artists, effects artists, uh, lighting artists, so many people create such amazing content. And we all pour our passion, all of our sweat and tears into this work. And we are just so happy that a lot of other people out there in the world enjoy this and including myself. I play a lot of Blizzard games and I play a lot of games out there myself and I'm also a huge gamer so during the pandemic it's really a great way to escape the tragedy, the the disheartening things that are happening with COVID. It just kind of like gets your mind off things and it really lets you enjoy things that are kind of like in a different world that uh, speak to you and a lot of these games out there they, they speak to people differently and they spoke to me in a way that like really relieves a lot of the pain that I endured during the pandemic. Um, and I feel like other people out there in the world also feel the same where they could escape all this craziness that's been happening. So yeah, I feel very fortunate, and very lucky to be part of this all.
0: Yeah. And you're speaking specifically of the literal world of escapism and creating yes, these yeah. worlds where mm-hmm. one can go and have anonymity and create these characters and be part of a team environment. You know, it's all online now too, Mm -hmm. so you're playing with other people all around the world. I think it's a fascinating evolution of the gaming industry that's happened because of the internet, where it's brought people together in these environments. Mm -hmm. How has that informed you of how you create for people? Because you never know who's playing, and you have all kinds of different personality types and, and individuals that are in love with the gaming industry and and take it very seriously, frankly.
1: Yeah, I definitely have to take it seriously myself and other people that worked on the game or on the cinematics. We also understand that these things affect people dearly and they really take a lot of the content to heart. You could watch some visual effects out there and... It really could be like beautiful or, or uh, tell a really good story or enhance the story. And that kind of like makes it a little bit better for, for the person playing the game. For me, when I'm watching a cinematic or playing game, like I really want to be touched by something and touched by something emotionally. That's what I mean. And I hope that the stuff that we create or the, the things that I used to create at Blizzard and what I'm going to be creating at Imaginary is going to be touching a lot of people's hearts and minds as they play the game, as they watch the visuals. And it's all connected to on the internet, so one person talks about it, it goes on Twitter, it goes on like Instagram or TikTok. You really have to be careful sometimes what you create and show people, but we also have a lot of people out there that are on our team to check and see if this is like a valid thing that we should be showing or something that we should be creating, something that's worth giving your heart and soul to out there in the world.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, that you're working with very large groups of people and requires a lot of cooperation and collaboration. How is that structured to work when you have 300 people just in your specific area And you have to coordinate all that creativity and execution and delivery. It sounds like an incredible feat.
1: Yeah, we are lucky to have great managers and producers on the cinematics team. And just going from the cinematics team of about 300 people to the gaming team, um, some of the game teams are also about 300 people large too and altogether at Blizzard, we have about 2,000 people. So it definitely is a huge endeavor to manage everyone. We have a lot of people in place to help connect one team to another and disseminate the information out and talk to the artists, talk to the technicians, talk to the other team members, the game developers, to be all in sync. Luckily, like uh, me working there at 15 years, there's been, really been like a lot of improvements that have happened over the uh, fifteen years there. So it's a lot of people working together and believing in each other and having that teamwork, creating something that's you know bigger than yourself. So all of us combining together to create something that's just great and wonderful.
0: You're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. I would imagine that technology has played a big part in helping ease that. Yeah logistical aspect of making sure that things are being tracked and managed mm-hmm. well. How has technology, I mean your whole business is based on technology essentially, but yeah, but we it's, are
1: pretty much a tech company. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's from front to back end. Technology mm-hmm. is taking care of every aspect of your delivery. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How have you guys leveraged that and what do you see the future holding now that you're with this new company, what is their vision? How do they see upcoming technologies advancing the gaming world and creating new types of experiences for their customers?
1: Yeah, uh, at Blizzard, we have a huge IT community inside our company. They're kind of like their own little studio. They've just moved mountains to even like get us to work at home during the pandemic. So. Once a pandemic hit, it was about two years ago, all of our IT members, they just quickly got together and figured out the technology, figured out how to VPN from home to your computer work, and just make it all happen. And it was amazing because we would not have created cinematics or games for the last two years without the IT help, without the technology. A lot of things also that helped was uh, communication programs like Slack. Slack has really helped for our new company, it's Teams, It's similar to Slack, it's all a lot of like typing and chatting rather than just emailing. So emailing has really kind of gone away and it's more about like chatting and just instant feedback right now. For the new company, we are pretty small still and we are looking to a lot of technology. And to leverage I think most of the visuals and the storytelling elements for us, it's all about Unreal Engine. And it's the latest iteration of Unreal Engine. Unreal Engine 5 currently, that's still in early access and is not fully out yet. But we are working on bleeding edge technology to try to show the best visuals and uh, communicate the best ways to our gaming community and just kind of like deliver what we think is gonna be the best technology in the next four or five years.
0: And what has been the latest developments? I mean, I know you're beta testing of this real engine and trying to see what you can get out of it. What are you finding now is, at least the next generation of gaming, what is this experience going to be for the user that is something that maybe they haven't seen before?
1: Yeah, uh, so the Matrix uh, experience just came out about, uh, I'd say like two months ago. And that was based on the movie The Matrix. And when you play that demo, that tech demo, on a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox, it just looks so real, like a lot of it is very hyper real. And that's kind of like what we're going for in our next game and cinematics. Seeing the, the highest quality of environments out there, character animation out there, lighting from the lumen, and just the vast amounts of geometry that you see, the vast distance, that's all done uh, within Unreal Engine. It's all real time. And so that's the big thing right now. Instead of rendering something out, which could take hours or days even, using Renderband, what we use at Blizzard, we could do it in just like a couple seconds, or if we want to up the quality a little bit, maybe a couple of minutes, but the fast iterations that you see on Unreal Engine is just amazing, and it's getting almost to that Pixar-level quality that we're used to with pre-rendered stuff. Back at Blizzard, uh, we're seeing that with Unreal Engine, and it's just—it's still in beta, and it's just awesome to behold. So, what we're uh, working on now is really cutting-edge, and it's—it's it's the bleeding technology, and we love it, and it's—it's going to be really cool to see.
0: Are you producing games? faster or is because things are so much more detailed and much richer, is it taking more time to develop these because the experience is much bigger than it's been in the past?
1: I would say it would probably take the same amount of time. The only real thing that you see faster and more real-time is the cinematics. So that's all the the cutscenes that you see when you're playing the game and it just stops and then it shows scripted environments and scripted play that enhances the story. Or something like an intro to a game, um, you'll see like a little video. Uh, That video used to be pre-rendered and they would take a long time to render, but now it's pretty much real time when you're playing the game. So that stuff is gonna be a lot faster, but the gameplay and the gameplay creation itself, I think it's still gonna take about the same amount of time, you know, at least three to five years because of uh, the detail that needs to be put into it and the polish and Uh, all the artwork that needs to go into the tech and such.
0: So there's two worlds too. Now, there's the gaming world and there's like 3D film and animation. Yes. And I know that they're similar, but one is an ongoing and one is a one-off. You're working in the gaming industry, but a lot of what you produce is also seen in in cinema, in in the film Mm -hmm. industry. How do you see that crossover happening? I mean, because the lines are beginning to blur. People go to these movies Mm -hmm. and now they're they're playing that game at home essentially. How do you see that kind of an interlocking of the motion picture entertainment industry and the gaming industry?
1: I think for us, that's kind of what our goal is to present to the world when we create this game and create the cinematics for the game. It's going to be one true experience where it's basically a cinematic experience playing a triple-A game and hopefully people won't tell the difference between the two and it's going to be a really cool experience working in the game industry for uh, you know 15 years but it's also part of the film industry because of the way we create the cinematics and the cinematics is basically a short film for the games. And it's, it's using the same technology as the film industry applied to the visual effects for uh, the games, but not on the game engine itself. It's just a separate entity. For that, it's kind of like a, a thing that kind of pushes the story or shows people what the game could be. It gets people excited. That's what the cinematics do. But for this upcoming game at Imaginary, we are aiming to have that all in one cohesive environment, one experience. Cool. All
0: right, let's get in the Wayback Machine, David, and uh, sure. find out how all this began. So, there must have been, I mean, I know that you were enamored by certain movies like The Terminator and The mm-hmm. Matrix, and had certain experiences early on in gaming that got you excited about this. Can you recall yeah. perhaps what that spark was, what that was very early in your childhood? that put you on that path to where you are right now?
1: Yeah, uh, I was the youngest child of six siblings. So there were six of us growing up the 1980s and my brothers and sisters would always have some kind of gaming entertainment system out there. They would have the Atari or they'd have the NES, the Super NES after that, and arcade games. And so I grew up really loving games because they played it and I always wanted to play it too. And um, It's just this experience of escaping where I was because I grew up pretty poor. My family was the first, well, I was the first generation from Vietnam. My parents immigrated there in the 1980s and I was born here in 1981. And we didn't grow up very privileged at all. We didn't have very many things. We didn't have much money. And these games provided that escapism and I really attached to that. And same thing with movies. Uh, growing up, movies, I really loved fantasy movies like The Neverending Story, where there's a lot of like, imagination out there to apply to certain things in life. And that really stuck with me, uh, along with the amazing visual effects there done by Industrial Light Magic back in the 1980s. They also did Star Wars back then. They did a whole bunch of other movies out there. And that pretty much gave me the spark, I would say. The combination of the old school 1980s games and the fantastical and science fiction movies of the 1980s really got me to where I am today.
0: How did you start acquiring the tools, the skills to begin to yeah. be able to do this work yourself?
1: In the 1990s, that's when my brother, again, uh, inspired me to do things. He got a computer, a first, one of the first uh, personal computers at home. and even though they were very weak and not so powerful back then it cost like two to three thousand dollars so we finally scrounged up enough, enough money in the family to uh, get one of these and uh, got into aol found out the internet and kind of self-taught myself a lot of things uh, started doing some html getting into websites graphic design and then in high school i started learning how to create a whole website for journalism class so that was really fun and it was all self-taught going on the internet and just kind of looking at the resources there, what the community was talking about, how to create things, how to do HTML. And then from there, like, yeah, it's, it was just so fun for me to be learning all this stuff on my own. And then afterwards I went to college, but then I found myself trying to appease my family, my parents, whereas like typical Asian families, they wanted me to become a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, just because they know that they make a lot of money and you're not going to make any money otherwise. And so they put me on this path uh, of being a major in biology and then I really liked music also so I tried to minor in music but then after two years of going to a local college nearby I found myself disinterested and not really paying attention and not caring about any of the classes that I was taking. That's when I looked back to myself and like, this is not who I am. I don't want to become some biology person or getting into the the field that I was not inspired to become. And I just kind of like decided that I need to go back to my roots and combine my love of games and movies and make a career out of it and i did a whole bunch of research and found a whole bunch of like colleges out there that kind of teach this stuff online i'm like oh, okay this is cool maybe this is what i need to take the next step and get out of this and become a professional at it and so uh, I landed at Academy of Art University up in San Francisco and took four years of computer animation classes and Artistic Foundation and then graduated from there and then got into the industry right after that.
0: Well, that's a good feather in the cap for Academy of Art. And they're gone, I, I believe.
1: Uh, I think I think they're still there. The only one that was gone is the Art Institute. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Art Institute, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're a huge chain all over the US and they were found to be preying on a lot of students and offering these degrees that were costing hundreds of thousands of dollars and not doing anything with it so yeah they are out of the way but Academy of Art is still there okay. it's the only one in San Francisco that's good
0: I mean I, I lived there yeah. eight years and I remember I used to walk oh, okay. by all the time and uh, ah, it was like a yeah. beacon in the city it's such a big deal yeah. seeing all the students walking around with their portfolios and
1: right the big old portfolios yeah. charcoal drugs yeah. yeah I did that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just like you know this hilly streets and you gotta lug all this stuff around it's really heavy I'm like ah
0: it looked yeah, fun it, it was a great city it, it looked fun though and And and, and how long were you in San Francisco?
1: I was there four years, and luckily I had family there, so that was another thing that let my parents kind of like trust me to going up there, in that I could just stay with family and save money that way too, you know, they're all about saving money. (laughs) So I got to um, spend time with my uncle up there and then my sister afterwards.
0: And how old were you when you left and went to San Francisco?
1: I was 21. Okay. Actually, I was 20. I didn't become 21 until I went up there. So, yeah, my phone of years from 20 to 24.
0: That's a very unique experience, you know, coming from a relatively traditional family and then being Mm -hmm. out in a very cosmopolitan, forward-thinking city and being exposed to life in a totally different way.
1: You know what? It was quite the polarizing experience to me, too, because I was not out when I was there. I, I uh, d- discovered that um, you know I was gay until I was 27 was when I came out. So when I was up in San Francisco, I was totally like in the closet. I didn't experience any of the, the gay culture and I regret it this day. But at the same time, like all I could do was just kind of protect myself and go into the survivor mode. And even though the city was so progressive, it was so full of culture and art, and this beautiful LGBTQ community was there. I wasn't really a part of that, sadly. Um, I was just stuck at my uh, school and just learned the best that I could there, doing my art and just being busy. But that was more like an excuse to me. I, looking back now, um, I could have experienced a lot more things and I wish I did. But yeah, it's it was pretty crazy doing all that and experiencing what San Francisco had to offer. But not doing any of the things that could have given me more growth in my sexuality or in my personal life.
0: Have you returned since then and been able to capture that?
1: Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, so after I came out in you know, 27, I went back there and I talked to my friends that were up there and talked to my family up there. And luckily, the experience was just amazing. It was all in my head. And luckily, it was... a It was a good experience because I heard, you know, terrible stories out there with people coming out and being disowned by their family and their parents and their friends. And luckily, uh, my experience was pretty smooth. Nothing really bad ever happened. I mean, I lost a few friends here and there, but my parents were somewhat accepting and over the years they got even more accepting and my friends were just fabulous and I got to go up there and hang out at a Castro Street and just kind of like um, hang out at the pride parades and it was really cool experiencing all that after the fact.
0: Well, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that, that onus took the importance with your parents off your career because
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. it
0: seems so much more significant. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, I would imagine that they stopped thinking about that you were not going to be a doctor or a dentist or some, yeah. and, and that they were just more concerned about you from different uh, perspectives.
1: That's true. They, they could have been uh, concerned with a lot of other things. Um, and luckily, like me starting my life out and getting my career going, it was essential to them. And I made money. And so they're like, oh my God, this guy actually could make money in the arts field. So yeah, no, that really helped. And then me coming out afterwards, that was probably better for them because they are pretty hardcore conservative, very religious, very traditional, so.
0: Well, that's why they had you. You create this new interesting balance in their life, uh, something for them to be exposed to.
1: Yeah, I think it's a nice little change for them. They had six other kids already, and they're all straight for all I know, but yeah, they had one kink, one other kid out there that was a little bit different. Are you the youngest of the six? Uh, the second uh, youngest, I actually have, we have seven now. So my younger brother, Timmy, he was born seven years after I was. So I was the youngest kid for the seven years. And I experienced a lot of the, the, the youngest child had to offer. It's, it was fun being the youngest kid, but.
0: <laughs> now he gets to run around and pretty much do whatever he wants. Cause I would imagine your parents are exhausted and just don't want to deal with yes. it.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it just, it's just funny because he just got married this year too. So to see him, getting married and growing older and just just like oh you're you're still my younger brother but at the same time you're old now too so (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) you're listening to the pure now show a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance well you've had a a multiplicity of experiences in your life and you're also a teacher and you're you're mentoring people and this must Mm -hmm. be really fascinating for you to take all even your personal experiences and make yourself available in this way for people who are interested in becoming creative professionals on a path similar to yours. How did that come into being part of your professional life?
1: Yeah, I used to teach, um, I don't anymore, but I, I started teaching in 2008 and that was through CG Society. And that was a great experience for them to ask me, to teach, I'm like I'm still a newbie myself. I'm not that much of a, you know, veteran out there. I don't know why they're asking me, but apparently, um, I got to inspire a lot of other people taking my courses, and I did something right because a lot of those people that I taught back then, from 2008 to 2018, they've gone on to become wonderful professionals out there in the industry, and they're working at big studios, and they're leads, and they're you know wonderful senior artists and they are now inspiring me again it's just the whole circle thing uh, where they are producing art that's just really awesome and uh, I'm really proud of that so for me to become a teacher back when I was younger and to see them all grow up is just a wonderful experience I also am a part of uh, the art gallery scene I haven't done the gallery scene for two years now due to the pandemic but Uh, When I was doing that back in 2014, that was also another wonderful experience. It brought the whole community together. It was all the local community for Santa Ana. And Santa Ana has really great arts district and so our gallery is right downtown in the district and it attracted a lot of people from like Los Angeles and sometimes even San Diego people driving up and meeting other people here and I got to connect them with a lot of other professionals locally and that they were all, you know, very grateful about doing that too. So that happened till 2020, and then the pandemic happened, and unfortunately, I haven't done the gallery for a while, but I want to come back to it and you know serve the community again, get the community back together, and have other people just be inspired by art physically to see it on the walls. It's really an experience.
0: I'm interested in how you have managed your life, and you've had complexities and challenges that are beyond normal. How have you maintained an assemblance of happiness and feeling good and successful in balancing your professional life with your personal life? And obviously, there's no difference. I mean, that's two sides of the same coin. But how Mm -hmm. have you made it all work for you so you can function in a very high level and be able to give back like you have?
1: I think that there's a few reasons for that. Like whatever would be my husband. uh, Learning to grow up with him and learning to face a lot of difficulties with him. That really helped me grow as a person and it also helped him grow at the same time. And just growing up together was just a really cool thing to behold. So I met him in 2010 and we're still together. We got married in 2013 and uh, we went through a lot of things together. We created the gallery together and we opened up an Airbnb together. And these little things kind of like let you escape the monotony of uh, my work. Because I've been doing a lot of visual effects at Blizzard for a long time. And for me, like, I felt kind of stunted. So I kind of branched out into the art gallery scene, uh, the Airbnb scene. And that really helped me be fulfilled, too. Sometimes as an artist, you don't always have to be doing art. You could be doing a lot of other things. And that really filled a lot of my time, uh, giving back to the art community through uh, gallery work and just kind of serving an AirBnB in Big Bear uh, with my cabin and enjoying the reactions or seeing other people enjoy the cabin gave me happiness too, which is kind of interesting. So it's kind of like the same thing where on the art gallery, like I got to meet a lot of people, a lot of students coming to the, the shows and enjoying the artwork, talking about it, hanging out and talking to other artists about it. That gave me joy too. So it was kind of nice to kind of spread the joy and that helps me get through life easier, I think. And that's kind of how I juggled it. Also, of course, video games. I still play a lot of video games out there, a lot of Blizzard games and just kind of like enjoying games on my computer and on the Nintendo Switch and on the console a lot. So that all kind of helps.
0: Well, let's talk about Blizzard. Let's talk about working there 15 years, what that was like. I mean probably one of the busiest shops in the world what was the day-to-day like how did you manage being able to produce incredible art constantly and you know do things on budget do things on time work with other people Mm -hmm. uh, make sure i mean there's a lot of what's the left hand and the right hand doing because this thing is all integrated together what did that look like and and how did you manage that to be successful
1: yeah um i think going into uh work every day and kind of always having that thirst for learning new things because there's going to be always problems that pop up uh, as you're creating art or working with someone. And also at the same time, when you're working with someone, you also get to ping off your ideas with them and you learn that way too. And so that was really cool to be going to work and doing that uh, on a day-to-day basis. I think the best way to put it is the people at work is really what made it for me, going to work and Uh, Working with these amazing other artists and amazing technicians and seeing producers and managers get their schedules on on time and getting things on budget. You working with that budget and you working around that, it was really a fun thing to, to experience. I think for me, getting to work on things that a lot of other people in the world get to play or experience was a main driving factor for me to keep going for the last 15 years doing all that. We got to work on things that a lot of other people in the world would be dying to be a part of. So I was fortunate to be uh, working there and I would never take away that experience from anyone else that, that are working there right now. It's still a great place to work at and I had great memories doing that there.
0: Well, tell me how you ended up there. I mean, you had to go from someplace doing something to being at the greatest spot anybody could show up, especially in the gaming world. So what was your professional trajectory? You know, after you got out of college and you got all that new training and all those tools, how did you take those and start going down that professional path?
1: Yeah, after I graduated, I submitted to like all these other companies around the world. And it was really two companies that I, aspire to work at it would be blizzard and weta digital in new zealand because they created the beautiful visual effects for lord of the rings back in 2001 to 2003 and then afterwards they did the hobbit and avatar and a bunch of other beautiful movies but while i was going to college like i got to experience the visual effects as i was going through school and that was just awesome so i applied there i applied to blizzard of course i didn't get to either but uh luckily I got a small little background painting gig at Disney Toon Studios and they asked me to do a painting test and they were gonna have me work on Tinkerbell, Bell, the movie that would be direct-to-DVD. It wouldn't be a full-on like movie feature for Disney, but it'd be like the direct-to-DVD studio. It's called Disney Toon Studios. And I did the two-week paid test and what was cool about them is they paid union pay, even for a paid test, which was awesome because that was the first paid thing that I had right out of school and it was like $50 I think an hour and I had no idea. So when I got the check for $2,000 something after two weeks, I'm like, well, this is awesome. <laughs> but um, that was not the norm. And afterwards, they said uh, they were looking for someone more senior and I wasn't experienced enough for their show. And so that was fine with me, I just picked myself up and started applying to other places. and. Uh, Luba Pictures uh, gave me a call back and they asked me to come back and work there for their first, let's see, it's called Underworld Evolution and that show I'd be doing roto and paint for and it's basically painting out wireframes or painting out airs on a movie 24 frames a second, so frame by frame. It's very laborious process. It's very kind of monotonous, but that's the entry level thing that you have to do to get your foot in the door. So I did that uh, for about six months and then learned that there were other opportunities in uh, Los Angeles that were just kind of like a little bit better, a little bit more pay. And one of those places I applied to was Rhythm Hughes. And Rhythm and Hughes worked on a lot of uh, talking animal shows. They won the Oscar for Babe. And they just finished a really big Disney show called The Chronicles of Narnia. And they wowed the world by creating this lion that looks pretty much real on screen, all the fur, all the lighting on it, how it moved, it was just kind of groundbreaking. And so that was like a pseudo, hey, I wanna work there someday. And luckily when I applied there, I got into the compositing apprenticeship program. And that is a 30-day program where there's about 13 people that would get in out of like hundreds of applicants so i was pretty stoked to get in to be that 13. and from there only 50% of the people would move on to become a full-time staff and so we did the test uh, I, or sorry, I did the test and luckily i made it past the test and i got to work in garfield 2 there uh superman returns and night at the museum doing compositing work and that's basically being a chef and gathering all the ingredients, all of the food items from the kitchen and putting it together, making that final meal. And that's what a compositor does. So that was a really cool experience being in a bigger studio, about 700 people compared to about 50 people at Luma Pictures. So that jump was uh, quite an eye-opening experience. And I got to learn a lot of things there and uh, met a lot of cool people, networked there. And then from there, I found out that they lost the next few big projects. And so unfortunately they had to lay off a lot of people and I was in that cut. And so they gave me two months to find another job. And from there, I was lucky enough to know of a friend, a coworker that went over to Blizzard. And he said he was looking for other artists to go over there with him, to become part of the cinematics team over there. I submitted to him my painting Demo Reel, my sitting Demo Reel. And it impressed the people there enough to give me a call back. And I did like a three hour interview, had lunch with them, had a whole bunch of things. And one of the interviewers there, he is a director now, and his name is Jeff Chamberlain. He kept saying and reiterating that if you do get this job, we don't want you to kind of like take this job and have it just be like a notch in your belt and go somewhere else within a few months. We were looking for like long term people to work here for years and years. So if you ever do get this job, just think about that and just don't think about joining this job and leaving us pretty soon. I'm like, yeah, no, this is like one of my dream places. I would never do that. And so that was, I think, two weeks after I got the call to come back and work there full time. And I was just overly ecstatic. It was one of the most memorable moments, getting that FedEx in my mail and seeing the offer letter and seeing the, the Blizzard Entertainment letterhead and saying, hey, you've been uh, offered this role as a cinematic artist and just, it just blew my mind. And so ever since then, I was there for 15 years after and did not leave for the longest time until the pandemic happened and I just kind of reevaluated my life and try to change the trajectories. But yeah it was a really cool experience to finally join that company that was one of my dream companies
0: do you think to some degree maybe the pandemic offered some unique opportunities for you that would not have come along otherwise
1: i think so i think one of the main key things is working from home that really opened up a lot of doors because so many other companies are offering work from home and the competition is fierce they know that they have to one offer from home or hybrid environment or they have to offer more money They also have to offer, you know, a really cool place to lure you away to work at their place. And luckily, Vaginary kind of offered all three of that to me. And it's just kind of an interesting thing that something so terrible that happened to a lot of people made our industry a little bit better, made the film industry a little better, and that there's so much more flexibility out there. There's so much more opportunity to go to different studios and not feeling like you have to be there forever. I think the loyalty that I gave to Blizzard was a very unique thing. And I will be giving my loyalty to Imaginary now, but saying that I would be there forever would be naive of me. And I said that to Blizzard because that was one of my first few jobs that I got out of college. And see, I joined there when I was 24. So I was still pretty young. I know a lot more now. And I know the world isn't always the same and it's not gonna be the same anymore since the pandemic.
0: You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. And speaking of all that, maybe there's more of an appreciation for the artist now than there was previously because things have changed. Mm -hmm. There's been a shift in perception of value. Uh, Can you talk about some advice for younger people coming in? I mean, the gaming world is very enticing and I'm sure it's highly competitive. And uh, like you, even back in the day, people want to work for those big studios. And maybe now there's more of an opportunity because of the working from home situation where studios are taking on more people because they can manage this freelance pool of people, helping them take care of a lot more work. Yes. What would you tell somebody, your younger self perhaps, that would make it easier and maybe give a little leverage to coming up in this industry and becoming successful?
1: I think for now, there's just so many other studios that have opened up all over the world for you to work at. For me, I was really focused just working in California and Los Angeles actually, because that's where Hollywood was, was, and that's where all the visual effects studios was. But the work now is not just centralized in Southern California anymore, it's all over the world. It's in Canada, it's in Australia, China, it's in London, it's in New Zealand, so many other places out there that offer really high quality work, really high quality visual effects, really high quality games that you can pretty much work anywhere you want now. You don't have to be in the studio, you don't have to be at work you have to learn how to manage your time now because of that. So you're not going to the office and you're not being managed and overseen directly anymore. So you have to be really the master of your own time and just kind of like be vigilant, be determined and always be learning because you're not going to be at the same environment as an office anymore. It's going to be at your house in the desk with maybe someone else or maybe not, but you could be alone. But always trying to keep your head up and always learning and be passionate about what you do. All
0: right, here's a, an obscure closing question. If you could not do what you are doing, what area would you potentially go into as a career or even a non-career?
1: Yeah, I thought about this before. I'm a huge foodie and I love food and I love the presentation of food. Kind of like, it's like edible art. And to me, it's kind of using my artistic skills still but at the same time, my foodie foodiness comes out when um, I want to become a chef someday. Like it's like, oh yeah, I could create that food. I could like make it look pretty and make it look appetizing for people. Create food for myself and you know my family or others, and seeing them enjoy it, kind of like the same way when I create art and having other people enjoy it. I would definitely go into the the food industry, <laughs> become a chef or something maybe open up in a restaurant but yeah that's kind of like a blue sky thing well
0: i mean you come from a traditional vietnamese family do you have any chops do, yeah. do you have any cooking skills
1: <laughs> i do yeah actually uh i do some pretty cool stuff at home but i also started learning some new recipes through hello fresh which ah. is interesting they make it really easy step-by-step following recipes but at the same time you can put your own twists onto it and that's kind of like what you do in art too just kind of like Go find a recipe and then make it your own and put your whole passion into it and make it a little bit different.
0: David, it's been super awesome talking to you. You're a great guy. appreciate your candid information about you and and your experiences in the industry. And, uh, of course, wish you all the best and much appreciate your time today.
1: Yeah, Thanks so much, Mark.
0: If you enjoyed The Pure Now Show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.